This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 854, A Conversation with Jed Winnick. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 700, and, sorry, this is episode 854. It's our uh, conversation with Judd Winnick. I should really say it's the annual conversation with Judd Winnick. Um, we, if you want to go back and check the archives, there's a lot of uh, previous conversations I've had with Judd. He was on episode 554 back in 2018, episode 666 in April 2019, episode 668 also in 2019, uh, and then in 2020 he was in episode 764, and episode 788. Um, so we've already had, uh, you know, five episodes with Judd Winnick before. I always have a lot of fun uh, sitting down with Judd. Um, we usually have a conversations, usually, like, at least uh, um, the last couple of years, we've had a couple others. We did a creator commentary at one point uh, on Exiles, and one we just talked about Shazam, etc. But um, typically, we talk about uh, his work on his creator-owned uh, graphic novel series, uh, which is Hilo. Uh, which the seventh book just came out. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It does create kind of a, a it's kind of a new story arc. The first six uh, uh, books were all one kind of continuous story arc, building on each other and building to a climax. And now we're kind of starting a, a new direction for this uh, three kind of uh, three book story that we're in now. So it's always a lot of fun to sit down with Judd and talk about a lot of stuff. I think it, we didn't really get into Hilo maybe until like thirty minutes in. We talked about kind of what it's like, you know, on the book tour, um, you know, doing a virtual book tour with kids uh, for something like Hilo, which again is, is geared towards you know all ages, but obviously has a, a strong market with children. Um, and my seven-year-old absolutely loves Hilo, and we've been reading it, I guess, for since 2018 when we kind of first discovered uh, all the different Hilo books. So um, yeah, no, this is, it's always a joy. I love having Judd on. I could just let's listen to him wax rhapsodic uh, forever because he just has a lot of great stories, a lot of great um, perspectives, and you know he just loves telling stories and loves doing what he does. And uh, it always feels very infectious because, um, you know, it. some of the best people when you hear interviews, it's just you could tell that they just love talking about whatever that thing is. And they just channel that. Um, I was uh, one, 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 this is a total aside, but I've been listening to a lot. There's been a recent publicity push by Jim Zub on all the different Conan books, uh, a lot of different podcasts talking about Conan. Uh, he's working on the, the Conan projects, sorry, the main Conan book at Marvel now. Uh, and they're ramping up to a kind of a legacy numbering big moment. Um, it's what it's been 50 years, I think, since Kona first hit Marvel. Um, and it was, it's a big thing, and so he's been talking about it everywhere. And there's just something about how Jim Zub talks about Conan that I cannot ever get tired of. I don't know what it is. It's just he's, like, I'm not even a huge Conan fan, but he makes me want to be a Conan fan. Um, which, if you're... <laughs> You know, if you're a writer talking about a, a project you're working on, that's the reaction you want. Um, you know, but he just loves what he does and he loves that thing. And it was that's the same feeling I get from Judd is that, um, you know, he just loves 
loves writing, loves cartooning. Um, anyways, I have you know wasted enough time kind of amping up this conversation, but uh, I had such a great time talking with Judd again. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. If I ever stop the podcast, that will be the part I miss the most is the kind of annual podcast with Judd. Although maybe he'd just chat with me anyway, just just to chat about the most recent volume. But uh, it's always a, always a lot of fun to chat with him, and uh, I'm going to uh, jump right into the episode in just a second. First, however, you can always email me at comic shenanigans, comic shenanigans at gmail.com, uh, rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, also listen to us on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it now. Uh, our next episode, episode 856, should be uh, kind of re- uh, a breakdown or recap. Uh, sorry, 856, I said that right. Uh, should be a recap of the final uh, well, the finale of WandaVision and talk about the series in general. So I'm looking forward to that. And then the episode after that should be uh, another comic talk spotlight, this time looking at Marauders Volume 1, um, like the trade paperback of the most recent Marauders book as part of the Dawn of X initiative initially, uh, before we moved on to the Reign of X that it's currently in. But um, So those will be the next two uh, non-review episodes. And then I think after that, we're going to do an episode on the launch of the Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, series. And then I think we're basically almost into April. And then so I'm hoping to have some uh, good interviews coming to you in april but uh yeah good stuff coming uh, on the podcast as we get closer and closer to episode 900 which will come out this summer crazy anyways thanks again and let's jump right into the conversation with judd winnick enjoy judd welcome back to the comic shenanigans podcast how are you doing today i'm good and uh, thank you sir for having me back again i appreciate Absolutely. it it's always it's always a good conversation it always uh, I just have to remind myself at certain points that we're actually recording this. It's not just a couple of people having a chat. Oh, that's very kind of you. So that's I guess the truth. It's it's interesting because the last time we like we were really chatting about Hilo, you were wrapping up kind of your your book tour season right at the beginning of kind of the 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 COVID epidemic or pandemic, I should say. And so you were having to try start to transition and change how you were doing you know your talks because everything everything was kind of shutting down. And so now you release a book and you're right in the middle of the pandemic. How how does it feel to kind of be back on the on the circuit, but in a very different way? It is very strange. I was literally on the road uh, while the pandemic. We were just, you know, I was driving around. It was it was the early February. And I'm driving around with uh, they're called media escorts, which are the folks who like take you from, you know, bookstore to bookstore or school to school. And we're hearing about this stuff on the news, and we're talking about it as it's happening, you know, somewhat in real time. And by the time I was I was wrapping up the tour, uh, by the time I got home. You know, everything had changed. It went from like, yeah, we're hearing about this to, oh, okay, we gotta, you know, we gotta put hand sanitizer on to, okay, we're gonna start canceling schools and then schools are closing. It just, it all happened like literally right in front of me while in real time as I was doing it. Uh, so now I did not expect a year later we'd still be at it. That's for sure. Um, and it's a, it's a little nutty because I'm visiting some of these schools virtually. I'm doing Zoom talks uh, with 300 kids at a time. And uh, it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't get to see you in person. Uh, you know, in some cases, it's you know schools in Texas um, that I visited last year, uh, and now we're doing it this way. And others, there's schools right here in San Francisco who are you know like they're a whopping ten minutes away from my home, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm zooming them as well. In that way, the technology is pretty amazing. I'm hoping that we, you know, that that this is one of the things that. One of the silver linings is how good we've gotten at doing things remotely. You know, not just for jokers like me, I just mean in general. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I think, will be working from home. 
I think I think things will be different in that way. Yeah, I mean, I I, I work at a, a bank up here in Canada, and like I I haven't gone into my office in in almost a year now, and it doesn't like I'm still just as busy as ever, and it's just it's it's insane how much we can do with technology now, and you know I, I they've kind of been warning us that you know if and when we go back, it's going to be very different. It's going to be a hybrid role. We're going to work more from home, and part of me likes that, but I mean I think it'll I'll like it more when it's an option and not when it's kind of forced upon you. I think everyone likes something <laughs> when it's in moderation, right, and that you can kind of pick and choose. Your moments as opposed to kind of being stuck in something and not being able to kind of move from it true i think in every case uh myself included you know for, i mean i know i know folks will yeah, folks will want to get back to the office now and again and now and again there'll be mandatory days where, like no no everyone's coming in mm-hmm. no we're gonna we're doing face-to-face today you know even your four-day a week or your two-day a week or you're coming back in um i absolutely am crazy about the uh ability to go to to go to schools and like you know do an assembly because they're fun a lot of fun you know I get to be the most fun that the kids have that day uh, <laughs> when I go to school at the same time um, you know I, I could do I do a book tour it's about three weeks long uh, and uh, after that it, it is purely about that I you know I can't get away that much I have a family and also you know mm-hmm. I've got I've got more books to make uh, but now you know but now we will find that you know since the Zoom technology is not something so unattainable, you know, mm-hmm. teachers can do it, you know. So there will be times like, oh, no, well, you know, we're going to visit those places in person and, and we're going to do another 30 visits virtually. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the same. It's not nearly as fun, but at least I get to see the kids, mm-hmm. you know, get to get to sort of be at school. And it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Again, I think it's, it's one of the silver linings. We're going to discover how these things work. Now, it's interesting because, I mean, I've, as you said before, like, I mean – Part of, part of the genesis of the Hilo kind of project was kind of came about of, as a result of your kids. And now your kids are have been home. And how has that impacted your ability to kind of do your work? Because obviously, you know, they used to kind of go off to school and you could kind of maybe focus better. And now they're more they're around more. And so how has that impacted your ability to kind of work on your own projects? Oh, kind of not at all. I want to, you know, I want to want to wax and wane about how things are possibly different. But it's very little, you know. Uh, well, I'm, I'm lucky that. Uh, unlike many folks, uh, my kids are not small. My son is 15 and my, my daughter's mm. 12. Mm. Uh, so they are sentient little people uh, who are not little anymore. Um, and they are they are parked in front of their computers and they're, they're going to do their thing. And, you know, I think the upside is that I periodically get to visit with them mm. <laughs> throughout the day. You know, uh, if someone's in between classes, if someone's having lunch, you know, I get to see them. Yeah. I know I'm going to, I know, I, you know, my studio has not changed. My studio is in the basement of our house, hmm. um, as it's always been. And, you know, my life is <laughs> work-wise has not changed. I still get up pretty much the same time and, you know, make my way down here and, like, release this, you know, make sure everyone gets on their computers remotely and whatnot. Uh, but I think, uh, I think it's going to be harder when they, when they go back to school. And my wife uh, goes back to her office full-time as well. My wife's a doctor, so she's been seeing patients remotely, and she's also a researcher. Mm. So when, when they all go back, this place is going to feel awfully quiet. I'm, I, I'm sure there'll be moments where, like, oh, it's nice to sort of have a little peace and quiet, but I think I'm going to miss them, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've, I've been a work-at-home guy, and I, I can uh, – I've handled being on my own for quite uh, – well, put it simply, I think they've spoiled me. I've been spoiled. <laughs> so – 
So it'll be different for sure. Yeah. So I, this, I have a, a very kind of random question, but it's a question about you as a as a storyteller. So I mean, you're you're very good with a phrase. Obviously, you're a good writer, but you're also just a good storyteller. You can tell the way that you know you orate. Um, so I'm curious, what were you like as a dad to, at story time? Oh, um, oh, I was just as good or just as bad as anybody else. <laughs> you know, I could I could definitely lose my patience with you know. Um, I'm stopping myself because I don't want to dump on anybody else's books or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't want to say like I had to read I had to read this thing for the eighth time. Uh, I say the only major difference is uh, that that I can do voices and do accents, mm. and uh, you know sometimes the kids are into it. Sometimes they don't want that at all. Uh, you know, early on, very early on, my son was little. We started reading Harry Potter, and uh, and I would do all the voices. That was a lot of fun. Um, I would not. I would not make up a lot of stories. I made up a few here and there. I think that's probably the big difference. Of uh, for me, um, I was. I despite the fact that I make up stories all the time, I was not making up a ton of stories for my kids. Hmm. But you know what? That's a little bit of a lie. Now I'm remembering that because it's been a while. You know, yeah. they're big now, so it's been it's been a while. Um, yeah, there were a few stories that that we made up together. Um, and we would tell, uh, but you know, like any parent, a lot of times, you know, you, you just want them to go to sleep. You just want them to have at it. <laughs> so that aspect, not so much. I think, the, I think the aspect of being, uh, being me, being a parent to like make up things. Uh, I, I, I'm doing, I'm doing a series here. I mean, the series I'm doing here is actually gauged for their age group. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I first started doing Hilo, my my son was. Um, I started working on it when he was like seven. I think by the time he read the first one, he was about eight and a half, which is actually the kind of the sweet spot exactly where the high low audience is at. So I had, I always had my own little focus group, um, and it's, it's not even fair to call them that. Just you know, they were way into it, um, and I got to be a very cool dad in a different way. I would go and visit their school, you know, and their their classmates were reading my books. Uh, and that was the unbelievably cool part. I mean, uh, it, I'd say this embarrasses her, but I think she still likes this story. When my daughter was in first grade. Um, I went to give my first talk uh, for her. You know, before she was in kindergarten, so that wasn't—they're not going to—they're not going to sit for me. And you don't do assemblies for kindergarten. If you think about it, kindergarten is a lot like one long assembly anyway. It's just a little—you know. <laughs> They're just trying to be occupied the whole time uh, and have a little bit of fun. So the first time I went to her school, she was in first grade. So the entire first grade's there. And the story I was actually telling was one that was completely about her. It was a very, very long story short, gang. It's, I was working on the second Hilo book, and uh, I was introducing this character who was going to be a sorceress girl, a uh, little witch. It was all about all these, these creatures and monsters and characters from different planets and alternate realities falling through portals and winding up in the kids kids town and the kids had to open up portals and send them back so one of the characters who to fall through was going to be this little girl who was a sorceress and she was going to befriend hilo dj and gina um but as i was writing it it wasn't really working out at all <laughs> i just you know i had this idea that you know that dj was gonna have a crush at this girl and gina's gonna get jealous and it felt really cliched. I really didn't like it. It wasn't really coming together. 
And meanwhile, while I was struggling with this, I'd been thinking about this storyline for like a year. Um, my daughter kept bugging me that she was about five. Like, Daddy, you should really put a cat in the book. It's like, okay, I'll put a cat in the book. No, really, Daddy, you should. And this was, she was fairly relentless in her just, just bugging me <laughs> every other day. Dad, did you put a cat in the ILO book yet? No, I haven't done that yet. You really should, Daddy. Be a better one. It's like, okay, well, I'll just put a cat in the book. No, don't just put any cat in there. She should be important, an important part of the story, like an important character. Okay, fine. And while this is going on, I'm struggling with this witch character. And then I finally clicked in my head, you know what? What if I make this little witch who isn't working? What if I make her a cat? <laughs> and that, that cat became Polly, who became one of the best characters of the book. It was just, it was, it was just a wonderful, happy accident. So anyway, I tell you all that, tell you this. So she's in first grade. I'm visiting her school for the first time. And I give a, I give a 25 minute talk, uh, version of what I just told you that has pictures and little drawings of her coming <laughs> into my studio to bug me like, daddy, should we put a cat in the book? You know, all this. So I'm about to give the talk. You know, I'm there at her school, so you know she gives me a hug, hello, and she's standing with me, and you know the rest of the classes are, are filing in, and you know I'm standing there at the, uh, the little stage there in the cafeteria, and then I tell her, I say, like, hey, it's okay, you can go sit down now, and she said, no, no, I'm okay, and she's standing next to me. I'm saying, like, no, sweetie, what I'm saying is like I'm going to start soon. You can go sit down. She goes, no, no, I'm I'm okay, I'm good. It's like, <laughs> wait, do, do you? Oh, so do you want to? Do you want to stand up here with me? It's like, yes. And her yes was like, it was like, yes, of course. Like, where else am I going to stand while you tell this, tell the school about this story about me? (laughs) And it told me so much about her for once. Like, oh, you're just, you're not scared of anything. You just don't care. You're, you're, it's like, and and, oh boy, are you going to enjoy this attention? So that's what she did. She, so for, for the entire hour that I gave my assembly, my daughter was standing there next to me. As if she was giving the talk as well. It was it was the greatest. So, no, I didn't really deliver the goods around story time, but uh, my kids are are very 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 much part. This, this is a family project for sure. Hmm. They're very much a part of all of it. So I was going to ask, like, as they get older, like, how do they feel about Hilo? Because obviously, like, it was a, it was new and exciting. It was this new project that you're working on, and again, it's a family project. It's a, it's it's part of the family business. As they get older, how is their interaction with it changed as the stories themselves progress? Uh, they have a more mature eye to it, and uh, I mean, it's funny. They still laugh at. They still laugh at all the same, same silly crap that I do. You know, they're you know, I mean, there are jokes I do which I, I will freely call them cheap jokes. Like these, are, you know, that's a cheap joke. You know, but I love it. You know, it's a bar, it's a burp joke. It's kind of a fart joke. It's a poop joke. It's a whatever. You know, and those are cheap jokes. Not that I'm not going to do them, but you know, it's that's a cheap joke. That one is a sophisticated good joke that I managed to get in there. That's kind of <laughs> cool. That's like sort of universal. Um, so no, they're still they're still very invested. Uh, which is awesome. I mean, they just, they just read them differently. I, I'd say, delightfully, they prove my point to myself that I've always wanted Hilo to be like all ages books. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we're a cartoon household. You know, I don't think my children are ever going to, they'll never stop watching Pixar movies because I think they get the fact that they're not just for kids. And we've exposed them to. You know, they were watching Miyazaki movies probably a lot sooner than a lot of their cohorts. 
and other stuff. I mean, you know, sometimes people bring up, you know, like what is my my daughter was talking about like like yeah, suddenly everybody because it's on Netflix, they're finally seeing Avatar: The Airbender, hmm. and uh, you know that is something that we watched. I don't know, like four times in a row during their <laughs> childhood, and would you know it would discuss and break down and talk about it, you know, and, and kind of ruin television for them <laughs> because it's you know because of the quality of it. Um, it's such a terrific, ongoing, well thought out story that they can actually would smell what garbage is now. Like, yeah, no, it's fine. It's like it's junk. Um, so yeah, they're still right in there. They're still delightfully so. I mean, I'm 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 very very lucky in that way. They have not lost interest, and I think they can see they can see the more mature messages that occur, mm-hmm. more mature themes that occur. Now, as they do age, I mean, again, going back to that kind of initial genesis of Hilo and work, working on something that your kids can enjoy as well, have they started to come into some of your more let's call it mature work that's been in you know mainstream comics, etc.? Oh yeah, they've read all that. Uh, I. I, I has my daughter read Barry Ween yet? She's twelve. <laughs> I waited for my son. I think I gave it to him at twelve or thirteen, and even then, even then it was a little. For those playing at home, Barry Ween is uh, the story of a ten-year-old boy genius who's got a four hundred IQ, and so he he blows things up and and you know uses the f word every other word, you know, cusses <laughs> like a sailor. Uh, but even beyond that, like it, the, the the language is like really super blue. That's what. I kept thinking, like, I think my son's ready for this, like, and he's, like, 10. And then I just get, like, I get, like, two two pages in, like, oh, no, no way. This is, this is so much more filthy with the language. Like, you know, I mean, I will have to explain oral sex to a 10-year-old. It's like, I'm not doing that. You know? And it's like this, it's, it's, again, it's, it's, there's no pornography. It's not, it's not, there's no sex, but there's discussions and, and uses of, like, the most foulest of language. Hmm. Um, so I'm not sure she's read that yet, but they, they've read everything else. They've read all the superhero comics. They've read, you know, just about everything else. Yeah. It has been interesting to watch over the last, I would say, four or five years where a lot of your DC work has been like kind of on a regular kind of clip published, you know, republished and coming up in new collected editions. And some of them were a little bit maybe more obvious, like Trials of Shazam came out, coming out, you know, in and around when the Shazam movie was. But even like, you know, I guess this year we have some of your Green Lantern stuff is finally being republished, which has been I, like, I just don't know what they were waiting on. Like, it's it's some great stuff, but it just it felt like it had just left uncollected for so long. Oh, well, thanks. It's just, yeah, I mean. Um, that's totally a dollars and cents thing and it could have everything to do with you know like I think uh, uh, you know my, my, my run on Titans which I think wasn't even a year um, that was re-released and why was that released because you know because of the Titans TV show mm-hmm. um, you know Green Lantern uh, they're going to start I think they're going to start doing a big push around that uh, they've, they've got a Green Lantern TV show coming out um, so I think some of my stuff in there might be in there a little bit here and there. I couldn't tell you for sure because they don't actually tell us anything. But um, yeah, you know, it's uh, 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 you. You could argue absence makes the heart grow fonder, or flat out that someone paid attention. Like, yeah, you know what, this stuff's not bad. We should just put it out. Uh, <laughs> and um, and knowing that a lot of these collections are doing quite well, and a lot of. Uh, a lot of readers who read it the first time around are more than happy to buy it again mm-hmm. because you know they, they like having it collected. You know, it's all just like marketing and stuff, I guess. 
Oh, for I'm sure. Not, I'm not complaining. I'm, per- I'm perfectly happy when the royalty checks come in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and also when, you know, you hear from readers who've read it the first time or readers who are reading it for the second time. You know, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. Well, it's interesting, too, because, I, I mean, again, it's interesting to see anything... You know, I feel like a lot of comics in the 2000s and kind of early 2010s at DC, they didn't maybe go as full into the trade kind of collections as other companies had. And so there's a lot of stuff that has remained uncollected or, you know, kind of overlooked. And then ever since the New 52, I think people have this yearning for this kind of pre-New 52 era. And, you know, obviously you works right smack in the dab of Stop in the middle of that, and even the upcoming collection of your Green Arrow and Black Canary run, um, like that's just so much fun, and it just feels like it's from a from a totally different time period, but it's so much fun to just enjoy. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think it all manages to come around again. I think that um, because you know so many people are, you know, they saw Black Canary, you know, in Arrow, mm-hmm. and they, there's probably going to be another incarnation coming out there, and. Like, do we have more product? It's like, actually, we do. And like, you know, this is not a bad read. So, uh, yeah, sure, let's put that out. Uh, it, it is. It's. It, you can call it as crass as you want. It's just about marketing and making money, which of course it is. But at the same time, um, you know, having access to these books um, is the only way they're going to get read. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm sure they're looking around at. You know, I. I'm unsure if uh, if my Black Canary. Uh, Green Arrow run was ever out of print. I think it just they just might have put a to put a freeze on it a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, but the interest was there, so you know, so they they put it out in a nice shiny package again. For sure. No complaints. No complaints. No, speak, know, speaking once of nice characters, disappear. I mean, once the characters disappear, that's it. True. You know, if they're <laughs> if they're not doing a monthly of them, you know, um, you know, I'm sure there's a Martian Manhunter series out there or ten, which has not been collected. <laughs> True, but you know, if he big, hits big and hard in some movie or television show, then boom, you'll see all of it. Speaking of big, big collections, uh, so the the first six books of Hilo got put in the great big box, the the big hardcover set. What was that kind of like? Being able to kind of see every like all those six volumes in one big kind of box set. Oh, enormously satisfying. Just you know, it's um, you know, it has literal weight to it, which is kind of fun. <laughs> um, you know, and. Uh, and it's uh, uh, it's it's a body of work that I'm really really thrilled with. I'm happy to be drawing again, and uh, you know, just the very idea that uh, you know anybody can pick up, especially any kiddo can pick up this entire first story arc. Boom, and one just in one sitting, um, which is happening. You know, you can buy six at a time, and I I feel very proud of it. There's you know. In a lot of my work, just because of uh, you know the nature of doing superhero comics, a lot of times, you know, you get some clunkers in there, you get some misses, things that didn't that didn't work out the way you wanted to for any number of reasons. Um, this is not that. This is all you know. This is everything that it felt really good. Uh, it's it's a story I'm very proud of, and the idea that you like you can get it all in one fell swoop, awesome, awesome, in one big old package. I kind of dig that. <laughs> And I guess that brings up the question too. I mean, like you're having so much fun working on this project. It's it's all you. You know, you're doing everything, and it's you know, kind of getting to channel all the best kind of creative impulses that you have. Does it? Do you ever? 
because you're able to do everything yourself and it's so, so satisfying and fulfilling, do you ever feel the, the need to ever kind of go back to, you know, traditional comics where you'd just be writing, a, like, you know, scripting and, and, and plotting out, but it wouldn't be the full kind of artistic pack, package? Does that, does that even have a lot of interest to you anymore or is it just is it just so much fun to be able to have much more control of your product than something like this where you are kind of doing everything soup to nuts well I'd, I'd say it's closer to that I just I just like drawing and writing my own stuff I mean it's it's one of these things where I I, I mean most of this came about meaning doing Hilo a lot of it came about because I discovered that um, yeah I really am a cartoonist and uh, when I'm not drawing, I'm, I, I was deeply unhappy. You know, there was a five-year stretch when um, I was writing a bunch of superhero titles and I was developing some TV and everything's fine. You know, it's not like I'm hurting for work or anything, but I was deeply unhappy and I realized what it was is I wasn't drawing. And uh, it took a while to literally realize that, that this is this is something I need to do. This is This is a truly a, a part of who I am as, as, art, as artsy-fartsy as that sounds I really mean it it's, this is, this is so, somebody I am as a person and I'm happier that way you know that said you know will I never go back to you know doing mainstream superhero comics no of course not you know I will I will probably be um, well probably I gotta, I gotta make a mental note I forgot to get back to somebody I'll be doing <laughs> this you know I, I, did, I did an 8 page uh, a little quickie eight page story uh, for the Robin anniversary collection just a little Jason Todd Red Hood story um, and that was purely about how well how it is with everything I had an idea you know they, they you know some buddies gave me a ring so we're doing an anniversary collection for Robin you know uh, would you like to do kind of a Red Hood Jason Todd story and I said well l- let me think about it you know because eight page stories aren't necessarily easy because that's it they just have to you know, rise and fall on the one idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought of something. It's like, oh, you know what? That's a cool little story. So I just wanted to tell that cool little story. And, uh, you know, that is going to happen again with another character I can't talk about, uh, where I'm going to do another eight page story. Um, and it purely is just about having the idea. So if I ever do come back to superhero comics, which, you know, I think I might, um, it will be purely about just having the idea. Um, Again, I do love writing and drawing my own stuff, and that will always come first. That's always going to take up most of my time. But, you know, I get the fire in the belly. I get, like, this great idea for, you know, a Batman story, and, someone, and you know, and someone at DC is going to give me an opportunity to tell it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, you know. Or on the other, you know, other side of the street, I think we've talked about before, I've never gotten the opportunity to, to write Hulk, mm-hmm. and Hulk is one of my favorite characters, and that... For me, that one's like sort of still sitting out there. Um, you know, never got an opportunity to do it. Now, mind you, if they came to me today and said, "Oh, well, dude, come come do come do twelve issues of Hulk," it's like, yeah, I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't have an idea in my head. Like nothing. Like you've had your whole life. Like no, really, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I see a lot of great Hulk stories out there. It's like no, I don't know if I have one in me. You know, much less one that fits within whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also kind of a thing, you know. Um, it's like, oh no, you can't do that. Like, really? Why not? Well, um, well, Hulk's got three heads right now. It's like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> it, that that doesn't work with my idea. No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. 
I mean, your idea is good. You know, can you can you work it in the three head thing? Like, no, I can't. I can't work the three head thing in at all. It's definitely a one head story. Like, okay, all right. Well, then, you know, we'll we'll have to put a pin in that. Like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So These things happen. It's it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious about how you feel about like in your career. You've been many things to many people, I guess, and it's just interesting how you kind of how the narrative of your career kind of kind of goes between the different extremes. Like a lot of people first become, you know, aware of you on the real world. And then, you know, you are, but you are a cartoonist and then you get really well known for, you know, Pedro and me, which is just breathtakingly wonderful and and just so full of emotion. And then, and then you parlay this into, you know, working in something that you always love, which is comics. And then people, I would say a lot of mainstream fans maybe didn't even know that you had this kind of, that you are this cartoonist. And then you kind of reinvent yourself with Hilo and kind of working on this old ages book. And that's really, you know, kind of channeling all these passions. How do you navigate such, such an interesting evolution? And you have fans who have experienced you from, you know, different pockets of that career, some all the way through, but some experiencing you in different ways. How do you navigate that um, with people who do love your work from those different periods? I don't navigate it at all. <laughs> I don't, not, not, I, I think I, there's there. I think um, I get just to have the fun of it. Um, I mean, I think a perfect example would be um, this happened more than once. So it's a bit of a humble brag uh, that I'll, I'll be in a supermarket, um, you know, probably definitely someplace local and uh, a couple of kids We'll, we'll like you know like an eight year old and an eleven year old say hey Judd it's like oh hey how you doing kiddos um, how are you and their parents are suddenly looking at me like I'm nuts <laughs> and uh, and I said I did I visit your school to talk about my my Hilo series and say like, yeah and they they go right to talking I have to sort of cut them off like hi so I'm, I'm my name is Judd I'm I'm a cartoonist and I uh, I do a cartoon series called Hilo and I. I guess I was at your school. Where do you guys go? You go to Malcolm X? And, uh, you know, the parents are like, oh, 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 you do Hilo. Right, right. Why do you, why do you look familiar? Why do you look familiar to me? And then I will say, it's like, well, um, judging by your age, I said, well, about, you know, whenever it was, like, so 24 years ago, 25 years ago, 26 years ago, it's now 26 years. Well, 26 years ago, I was on the real world. Like, oh my God, that is you. Holy crap. So, yeah. So a lot of times I'm occupying two demographics in the household, and uh, it's it's merely something interesting. Um, you know, I hear from a lot of teachers and parents who like when their kids are reading Hilo, they kind of discover that by accident. They didn't pick up the book because I was in the real world, but at, as their kid is reading it, they're like, "Wait a minute, I know that name. Is that the?" It's like, uh, and then I hear from them on Instagram or on Twitter, like. My kid was reading Hilo, and I realized, holy crap, that's Judd from the real world. I, was, I thought that was sad. I tried to explain to them what the real world is, and they don't care. It's like they just want to just like in Hilo. I said, yeah, it's, that is fine by me. Everybody wins. So that's kind of how it goes. You know, for some folks, uh, you know, and it, it, it holds true for superhero comics as well. You know, mm-hmm. visiting schools, and um, 90% of the time it'll be uh, – uh, teachers who are who are nerds like us mm. who read comic books who you know in some cases you know you know there there's a you know uh, you know uh, uh, Mr. Ramirez is coming over to me with his stack of exiles uh, <laughs> you know, and his kids are going like what is that I was like these are my comic books and uh, like Jed would be like dude bring it over 
Come on, bring it over. <laughs> so I even got a silver sharpie for the for the uh, for the dark covers here, so we can do this right. Here we go. Um, so that happens not infrequently. Um, and what is it? It's a lot of it's a lot of goddamn fun. It's the best. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody should get that experience. So a question I don't think I've ever really asked before, and I, I feel like it, it's obviously a question you've answered probably a lot in the past. But I mean, you were part of a very early kind of reality television. How does someone in the advent of this, you know, kind of reality television age decide to even do that? Like, it just seems like these days everyone wants to be famous. Everyone wants to be on reality TV or whatever it might be. But how do you decide to do that in the mid-90s? Oh, way back when? Oh, that was, well, it's an easy answer. I was just a fan of the show. Hmm. I was, you know, uh, you know, when when we did the real world for openers, it was it was, you know, pretty much the only reality show on TV with the exception of maybe Cops. Yeah, <laughs> don't want to be on that one. Cops? No, you don't. You don't. And if you are, don't sign the release. <laughs> I never understood that. I still don't understand that. You know how these folks could get on there and just like you know, it's like you know, you don't have to be on television, but I guess they wanted to real bad. Hmm. But you don't look good. You're you're you know, you're wearing kind of your tidy whities and you're really drunk and screaming at you know, screaming at your ex-wife and like anyway. So I wasn't doing that one. No, but I was a fan of the real world. I saw, I saw it, you know, I, I watched the show and, um, at the time when, uh, they were casting the show, I literally, uh, I had, um, uh, I came out of college and I had a development deal with a cartoon syndicate to get my comic strip syndicated and, uh, they actually passed on it. And so I was not getting syndicated. So all my dreams came crashing down. I had to move back in with my mom and dad, which is the dream of any any twenty three year old. Um, and as I was sitting on their couch trying to plan my next move, I saw a commercial while watching the Real World. Do you want to be on Real World Three? San Francisco sent us a letter and a photo telling us, you know, why we should pick your monkey ass. So, you know, so I tried out, and ninety percent of it was that, you know, I was I was really stuck. Uh, you know, I was I was someone who like kind of skidded out. Um, which I think when I mean I found out later, they said as as casting with that kind of interested them. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was the you know the Gen X generation. And I was one of the people who was you know just you know just needed a break. Um, you know, and, and I was coming to San Francisco um, to take advantage of the free rent, but also to try and just get in there and you know try and get something going with my career. Um, so that is. That is why I did it. I was a big old fan of the show, um, egocentric enough to think that my that my ass was actually interesting enough to actually go on one of these shows. Do not forget, there's a certain level of narcissism that has to go into this, <laughs> where you think like, yeah, no, I am awesome enough to be on television. I mean, you know, we were all, with the exception of my housemate and friend Corey Murphy, uh, who really does not have an egocentric or narcissistic bone in her body. Uh, the rest of us, you know, did, did have very big moments where we didn't think our, our crap stunk. You know, we were very, you know, a little bit impressed with ourselves. We thought we could, you know, that we should be on television <laughs> because it's part of that you have to believe. I mean, just like bad example, overreaching example, but if you're running for president of the United States, <laughs> you have to have a bit of a narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, you, if you think I can be the leader of the free world, you really have to be think 
pretty highly yourself, mm. you know, to, to the point that it's almost a problem. <laughs> you know, you got to be able, you know, even even the presidents we like, it's it's got to be going on there. You got to, you know, send their sense of self worth huge. So us too, and anybody who does reality. So that's why I did it. I did it for the free rent. I did it hoping it would kickstart my career. Um, I, to be blunt, uh, I, I thought it'd be a, a great opportunity to uh, to meet girls. Uh, and uh, at 24, I was still calling them girls. Um, and you know, a lot of those things came together. You know, I met my wife on the show, which was kind of unexpected. Um, and uh, you know, and did give me. Well, as I was told right before the show started to air, George Vishore, who was our director, uh, kind of gave me a warning that because uh, he knew, you know, that I really, I still really wanted to get my career going, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make it as a cartoonist. You know, that was the other thing. It's like I wasn't trying to like land a sitcom, and I wasn't <laughs> working on my stand-up career, and I wasn't about. You know, trying to sell. You know, I wasn't a musician trying to get out there. You know, I was a cartoonist. You know, <laughs> but uh, George told me, he said, like, so listen, what's going to happen now is that this will open a lot of doors for you, but you have to be ready and able to walk through those doors. So you'll have opportunities, but you know, if you don't have it, nothing's going to happen. You know, it just it doesn't doing these shows. And he said. <laughs> And he said, and I wish I could explain this to a lot of other people who are doing the shows, have done the shows, and probably will do the shows, that it doesn't give you talent. It just it just makes you famous. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was right in a lot of ways, and holy shit, was he ever wrong, you know? <laughs> and I don't mean for me, it's like, but there's a lot of people who, are, who just wound up being famous just for being famous, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so things did change. But for me, it was it was just that. It afforded me a lot of... Not a lot. A few times, a few very clutch and key times, meeting people at the right time who just said, "Hey, weren't you on that show?" I said, "Yes, I was." <laughs> uh, that's cool. Like, yeah, can I talk to you for five minutes? Like, absolutely. Let's talk for a few minutes. Very cool. So, after thirty-five minutes, I'm finally going to ask you about Hilo Book Seven. <laughs> sure, let's do it. <laughs> so, my my son had begged. He's like, "Can you ask him one question from him?" I'm like, absolutely. Any question you want, and. He asked me a question that I thought was a question I was going to ask anyway. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll ask a question, Zach. So Zach wanted to know what made you decide to make this book about Gina's story. Well, yeah. So we're we're doing the big pivot. So um, the first six books wound up being uh, an entire story arc where Hilo was our hero, and uh, you know the next probably three books um, are going to be uh, you know well. Yeah, definitely Gina's going to be the hero and stuff, but it's probably no it is I've already decided it's going to be three books because um, <laughs> that's how long the story's going to be well with uh, at one point uh, when I first started doing the series my editor had said to me how long do you think the series is going to be like how many books to tell this this story and I said well you know six uh, you know is, is the number I finally landed on um, I mean a very long story short is that I originally said 20 and she said, oh, 20, that's a healthy number. That's an ambitious number. I said, yeah, I think I, think I can do 20. She says, okay. Well, you, we can absolutely do that, 20 books to tell this first Tyler story. But I just want to point out two things that, uh, one, as a reader, this is Shana, my editor, saying, as a reader, I kind of want you to get to the mystery a little bit sooner. I kind of – I don't think I want to wait for 20 books to get through the whole thing. I, w- I wish you would kind of 
you know, take us behind the curtain a little bit sooner than that. But secondly, you're averaging about a book a year. So if a kid starts reading Hilo, that first Hilo, and they're 10 years old, and I finish it for like, oh, they'll be 30 by the time I'm done. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that might be too long. It might be. It might be. But if you want to do it, I'm like, no, 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 I'll shorten it up. I'll figure it out. I'll shorten it up. <laughs> so then I so I came back to him and I said, yeah, no, I figured out because I knew what the, where, where, where the ending was going to be and what the story was going to be. I said, yeah, I can do it in six. She goes, so six? Like, yeah, are you sure? I said, yeah, no, no, I'm sure. Then the first one came out. It did particularly well. And that's when Shana said, like, yeah, you know, and when you're done with this story, maybe we can do more. Like, more what? Like, more Hilo. It's like, oh, no, but I only have, this is the story, the story's, it's, it's six books. And Shana then asked me, he's like, well, they don't all die at the end, do they? It's like, <laughs> well, no. It's like, well, okay, well, I'm sure you'll think of something. So with that floating around there that, like, I should I should do books past book six when I'm done, it was kind of floating there in the back of my head. You know, what will I do? And then around the third book, um, you know, I just sort of stumbled into the fact that Gina could do magic. And then it kind of got my mind racing, like, you know, it's like, you know what? I think I could do a whole story around her. And once I started thinking about it, I could really see how, as a character, she was developing into a hero. Mm-hmm. And what a niche hero she would be. Um, and that was it. It was sort of, you know, born out of, like, I should do more books. And then it was just born out of a happy accident of, like, yeah, she'll have magic. And, like, and just thinking that Gina, I just, there's a quality about the character that really felt feels heroic to me. Feels like she's got something to do, something to say. And she, she wound up, you know, being a character who's incredibly brave, incredibly smart, always so empathetic, and she's always kind of the smartest. So those things all came together for me. Hmm. So that that's why we pivoted. But as you'll see, I mean, your son, you and your son already read the first book. That it's still a Hilo book. It's not like Hilo went anywhere. Yeah. It's just that he's not leading the charge. He's you know, uh, but he's he's in there charging just the same. It is interesting as well. I mean, because you know, DJ. He's basically psychic. He's switching up who he's psychic to, and it's interesting to see how you play with you know their pre-existing dynamics. And it's interesting too is as you said, like you build up Gina to being this really heroic character, and this is a really interesting book because you really challenge that notion that everyone around her is kind of like you're going to be the hero, right? And she's really kind of slow to come to it. Um, and I've mentioned this before, where I felt that the first six books were really about this you know, larger kind of adoption story about you know Hilo finding a new family. And then you have yep. uh, this is so much more about processing grief and uh, you know almost like guilt of you know of those who are not around anymore and that wishing we could have done something more and how do you process that grief and it's 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 told so well because it's not done in a heavy-handed way and it's in a way that my son gets it without feeling like it's too maudlin and I could get it and thinking like it's a really deep theme of loss and how you move on from this and you know she should be really excited about magic and about this whole new world but she can't quite get there yet and that's really intriguing that you 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 kind of, you kind of let the character step back as opposed to just being a badass you know right from the beginning of this book and instead having to kind of reemerge and find out who she is well, thank you, because that that was that was a hundred percent my intention. Uh, yeah, without getting into it too much for the gang that they who haven't read it yet, possibly that yeah, there's there's we lose there there's a great loss in uh, the end of this uh, of the first story arc in the sixth book. Um, but I didn't want to 
I didn't want to just just keep moving on. You know, it's it's it should be dealt with. Um, I mean, something I talked to my editors about that this isn't something that we're just going to you know take lightly. It's an important part of the story, and we will keep talking about it. Um, you know, and I think it would be disingenuous, and also I think the kids would know it. You know, it wouldn't feel right if we didn't acknowledge the loss and sort of try to figure out how how we're going to navigate through the world knowing that this happened. And that becomes Gina's story. You're absolutely right. You know, how to shoulder this weight. And should she be shouldering this weight? Mm -hmm. And part of, in her case, and part of being a hero is that at first she doesn't want to be a hero. Like, I don't want any of this jazz. I just want everything to go back to normal. And we are not going to do any adventuring anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of like that as a story. I mean, I, I, I always like that. I like that in my fiction, you know, I do like the heroes who sort of reject the heroism or reject, you know, reject the great power, reject, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's something very, you know, noble in that. For sure. So a a question I had, uh, one thing I I just really liked, so it's actually less of a question, but uh, chapter six, I just love the whole idea of we carry who they were, which is such a a powerful kind of statement and I liked it as kind of the the name of the chapter and also something that Hila then says and it that feels like it's definitely been an aspect of your work in a lot of ways um, in terms of you know remembrance and who you carry forward and how you implement those those ideas and those lessons so how important was that to you to kind of it feels like this chapter is kind of the crux of it all and how Hilo is able to kind of articulate this message so how important was that to you to get that across it's a rather it's a rather mature theme, the idea that experiencing loss and grief is is about you know you know carrying the memories of the people that you love with you still that you don't that they're not gone because you remember them because you love them and that's been very much a part of my own life and my own experience. Um, the fact that I get to put it in Hilo and the fact that I get to put it in a book that's meant for kids um, means a lot to me. You know, we had some discussions about it. You know, there were there were there was there was some cold feet reaction. That is this too much? You know, uh, you know, it, you know, and, and and still here and there about shying away from the idea of having a discussion of of loss and death. Um, but I feel pretty strongly about it. I feel pretty strongly about it because, um, you know, the initial reaction from my own kids to this story, and my, my kids actually are, are way more resilient and. Uh, and accepting of, uh, of of things that have in story. I mean, you do have. Don't get me wrong. There were there were a number of notes I got from parents who had to tell me that their children were completely distraught about this this loss we had in this last story arc. Mm. Um, and were basically reaching out to me, kind of just to give me a little bit of the business, but not really. Just sort of lightly to say that they they found it very very upsetting, and you know, also kind of wanting to know if. Is this for keeps? You know, <laughs> like, you know, uh, is you know, are we going to take this back? And and I, I had to tell them, I had to tell them, no, no, we're not taking it back, and it is for keeps. And uh, please, t- please tell your kiddo the, the following. And, you know, I would explain to them that no, this is a real loss, but we're not we're not taking it lightly, and it's not something that has to happen simply. And the loss is about the loss happens out of heroism and out of sacrifice, um, and it changes everybody. You know. And also leads into some place that we're going to go, so that's important too. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I think it does 
kind of differentiate your series as well. I mean, again, you're having a lot of fun and it's fun adventure, but there are stakes. So there are, you know, actual repercussions and consequences that do happen. And that, and I, I, again, I do like that you don't kind of sweep that under the rug. You're, you're not afraid to kind of get into it as to, you know, what would actually happen next. Um, and, and, and again, it's a great theme that kind of throughout the volume. And I'm excited for the next because it does feel like you're about to kind of go on another rip-roaring adventure now that you've kind of done the good setup of kind of showing what she's kind of dealing with and what she's really carrying with her. And now you get to kind of jump into, well, now we don't have time for that. Let's have an adventure. <laughs> your, your instincts are spot on on many, many levels, yes. At, uh, we, there's, there, there's a little less... Whereas we have a bunch of hero's journey stuff in the first book, uh, the, fir- the first chapter with Gina here where she's got a, she's doing a bit of hemming and hawing, a bit of second guessing, uh, but now we've sort of jumped into things and she doesn't have time for that nonsense now. <laughs> you can't, there's no time to second guess yourself because, you know, you got work to do. Um, that is very much a part of it. Uh, with the third book, we got to circle back to our larger theme of, of having to deal with some things that have happened in previous volumes. We have a little more breathing room. Uh, yeah, but the second one gets, get, definitely gets a little more rip-roaring, um, a little bit, you know, a little bit of craziness. I don't want to, I don't want to give it away to anyone who hasn't read it yet, but yeah, your, your instincts are spot on. But, and along with, I think, um, for us as, as, as old school comic book readers, uh, the stories that we loved when we were kids, the ones that really hit us, were, were the ones which, um, you know, actually went someplace different, hmm. you know, that, that hit an emotional note for us, you know, and it might have hit an emotional note when we were pretty young and sort of a simple idea that was, it was carried through emotionally or, or even when we were a little bit older, you know, hmm. when, you know, when those writers really delivered the goods on, on a particularly, you know, uh, emotional moment or pass or, you know, or part of the story. For sure. So I'm hoping to recreate just that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's always my hope. It's interesting you mention that, cause, and I know I've already mentioned this to you before in one of our prior conversations, but, I mean, you're, when you did Nocturne and Evans, Evans Song, and it's the, you know, the, it's a miscarriage in a comic book, I had never seen that before. I mean, I would have been, I don't know, 17 or 18 years old. That hit me then, and, I mean, having gone through that as an adult with my wife, it hits me a lot more now. But that's such a mature, surprising theme, and I've always been very... So almost surprised that they let you do it because it just feels like it's kind of a weird not not a weird taboo subject well no, I guess it is kind of taboo but it was just always just so uh-huh. impactful to me that you handled it with such grace and that it was you know it was just it was built into a larger uh, idea of grief in that particular issue but it was just always surprised me that they let you do it because it does feel like such a taboo subject I think I think uh, for one I'm glad you enjoyed the story and I'm still very very proud of it and uh it is one of those stories that I look back on uh, with a lot of pride, um, and also uh, uh, sort of this, this this frightening reverence of I don't know. Sometimes when you like you've, you've done a really good story that kind of still holds up, hmm. it's it's those are the ones you look at and go, yeah, I hope I'm doing things are just as good as that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, hope I hope I'm still telling stories that like have that that kind of impact because I look at that and think like, yeah, and that was really. You know, we were really able to do something there. You know, and it was, a, it was a wonderful marriage, also of of art and story. You know, I had really terrific storytellers uh, to work alongside with me. And I, but I think it was about getting away with the story. That's that becomes a larger issue of you know, not really. You know, it's a, it was a smaller book that no one's not paying a whole lot of attention to. Mm. 
but also at the same time, uh, editorial knowing full well, like, well, this is a story you can do in something like Exiles mm. because, you know, we're not going to get headlines that like Mary Jane Watson got a, got a, you know, uh, uh, had a miscarriage or possibly terminated a pregnancy. Did she have an abortion? You know, and then we're talking about it mm. opposed to, you know, nocturne from the exiles. Uh, and, uh, you know, the question is that and, and, and who the F is that, you know, um, <laughs> So a lot of times it is just that, you know, you get to tell these stories in mainstream superhero comics because you're working in, you know, kind of a smaller playing field um, with characters which don't necessarily, you know, pack the same kind of popular culture punch. Mm. So maybe that was part of it. It was also it was also when I just started. And I think it's one of the things I look back on so well that that it was really uh, when I was really becoming a good storyteller, you know, really sort of finding my voice in a lot of ways and realizing that, you know, ostensibly, which it, it's, it's, I mean, this is, a, this is a, a big, dumb, crazy superhero comic. You know, we've got a whole bunch of alternate reality heroes, which, you know, most have never, you know, that some I just made up by piecing together, you know, my favorite Burn and Claremont X-Men and... Uh, you know, I'm I'm doing fan fiction. I'm just goofing around. But in that, it's like, but you know what? Let me try to tell this really kind of serious, human, emotional story. And it's like, oh, you know what? The human emotional stories are really the ones that actually work the best. Hmm. Even though everyone's got superpowers and this story is told over like four different, like different fake realities I made up and what have you. At the heart of it, it's just a couple who lost their baby. And how hard is that? You know, yeah. and and someone who lost her partner, you know, those are the stories. Actually, again, they match out of the resonance. Absolutely. So I'm going to take it in a completely different direction for a second. So we had talked off podcast about something that I found incredibly funny about um, Volume 7. And the other day I was was talking with my son and he just independently, I didn't say anything. He just, he he held up the book and he flipped to the page about where you have all about you. And it's a, a drawing of you and Gina riding dinosaurs. And he's like, daddy, daddy, this is so funny. Look at this. And I just cracked up laughing because I already mentioned to you how much it made me laugh. And then suddenly he's just independently also just as having just as much fun with it. <laughs> well, both two, are we talking about the the author page? Yeah, the or, author page. Uh, <laughs> I drew myself riding a lizard, and Gina's riding a lizard next to me. Why are we riding lizards? And I said because I I, I can't draw horses. Um, yeah, so I, I I think you probably find that funny because it's kind of meta. Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it's it's sort of acknowledging the fact that that you know Gina, here we are, we're both drawings. You know, and you're a drawing that I drew, and I'm talking about the fact that I can't draw horses, and that's why we're riding lizards. You know, it's, there's something funny about the fact, like, well, no one said you had to ride something; you've done anything you wanted. That's but the- like, no, no, but no, no, like I, I had to ride something, and you know, I can't, I can't draw horses. It's just, it's, it's a multi-level weirdness going on. I think that is it. You're probably digging on. I think um, so. Yeah, it's well, just, just, yeah, as you said, it's kind of a weird, random gag. Like, there's no reason they need to be there at all. Yeah. And I think coupled with what is the most awesome, like for me, is that, you know, it's a joke that, that kiddos dig and grownups are digging just the same, you know, and that's that's the best, you know, that is clearly the best, you know, jokes are playing for two kinds of audiences. I love it. Um, in, in this volume, it, it felt like you got to play up 
like Hilo still Hilo, but because he doesn't have you know some you know what we were used to him being in the first six books. I'm not trying to spoil too much. He's obviously different. Um, so how much fun was it to play with that? Because he's still he's still high low, but he is different, and you're able to kind of play up that. What was it like to be able to kind of have that freedom to go in that direction? Because you can kind of zig and zag with him because he is different. Yeah, that is uh, that is the way fun thing about just you know reinventing the book a little bit is that it's all fertile territory. You get to do you get to do new stuff. Doing new stuff is the greatest. You know <laughs> that's uh, you know that's the whole ball game. Um, and the fact that I get to take Hilo in a slightly new direction um, is a blast. You know, I've 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 done you know seven books with this character, and uh, or you know rather six books prior to this. So now that I get to do something different with him, um, you know that's the great. He's still him, but now he's going through something new and uh and i get to make it kind of funny so i love it you know um i mean that's i mean that is also a huge part of you know why make gina the hero it's like well i think she's cool i think it'll be interesting but for me as a storyteller we're going in a whole new direction Mm. i get to play with the same characters who i know really well who i feel really good about but now we're going in a whole different direction and how cool is that it uh, yeah no i mean that it feels like as you said, like you get to go in this whole different direction, you get to, you know, really re-experience the world because through someone else's kind of lens. So it, it did feel like you were kind of channeling that same level of enthusiasm that you're able to again do something new, do something exciting. It's still it's still Hilo, it's still that world, but again that you're you're vibing it through a slightly different lens, which is again makes it more fresh. Yeah, it's just a little more fun. It's just you know, I mean that's. You know, I and I'm I'm also very very grateful that my you know my editor and my publisher were totally comfortable doing this um, because a lot of you know um, when I mean let's we, we need to acknowledge the fact that th- these books are sold for money uh, <laughs> you know um, and the publisher publishes them not out of a sense of goodness but they want to keep making money. Uh, and here I am saying like, yeah, so the book's called Hilo, but he's not going to be the hero anymore. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, no, no one even questioned that. No one even questioned that. You know, they, they right from the jump, they say, oh, Gina's going to be the hero? Love it. It's like, Hilo's still in the book. Like, it's like, yeah, no, it's just like, you know, she's the hero now. It's like, cool. Everyone was like down with it, you know? And uh, it could have been viewed as a risky proposition, but they didn't see it that way. And they trusted me enough, you know, to wait for me to, you know, write and draw the first you know, whole book, you know, till they weighed in with like, yep, love it. Keep going. Um, so a lot of credit there as well, for sure. When, when you do use humor and again, there's like a lot of great gags in the book, like how much, how much work do you kind of work on some of those gags? Cause I mean, I, I can't even imagine like people who, you know, used to do your, your daily comic strips and having to come up with a gag every time. It just seems crazy to me that, you know, someone could do that on such a consistent basis. So, how do you kind of level out how to, you know, have some of these gags? Like, there's a particular gag early on in book seven, which I feel like it could have been one panel, and then you you kept going, and I it just made me laugh harder. You have this whole moment about Hilo, and he's like, you know, holy mackerel, I just went to the bathroom, and then that could be it. And then it's like pooping is outstanding, but then you keep going. It's like I'm going to go again, and I'm like, 
like that that's great development of the gag but what even made you decide to kind of keep going like i felt like it could have just been on one note it could have ended on the second note but there's just something about it that you're able to keep making it funny how how much effort does that take to kind of do that Oh, I've always been able to write jokes pretty well. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's, you know, that, I mean, I have so few usable skills. I mean, truly, I don't, I don't, I can't do a lot. You know, I can't do a lot. But what I can do is I, you know, I can draw like cartoony cartoons and I can, I can make, I mean, I can make some pretty good jokes. Um, I mean, that combined with once you get your characters, a lot of times then just the characters, you know, are very, very helpful in the way because they're the ones cracking wise. You know, um, you know, you just you kind of hear the jokes coming. So in in that case, it was just it was funnier to keep going because that's that, because I could hear the conversation keep going. You know, <laughs> it is is how they're set up. Like it wouldn't be just a one and done. And then I realized there's something funny about this DJ that's sitting there listening to him and just reacting just a little bit. Um, and that's just again, that's just knowing what you know. Well, it's, it's actually just knowing what I think is funny to me, because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really ever. I, I'd be hard pressed. You'd have to go through the entire book. Like, so you think all these jokes are funny? Like, yes, <laughs> I'm, I am my first audience. I do that. Even the cheap jokes, even though I know, like, yeah, it's a cheap joke. I'm doing it anyway. You know, it's 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 a joke that I like. That's why it's in there. So I am my first audience. I do this mostly when I start out to amuse to excite me mm. so that's a lot where the comedy comes from like you know, things I, I think are funny even even just the idea that Hilo has his own mini fridge stocked with milk yeah exactly <laughs> just, just kind of that idea just like kind of cracked me up and and you know he's got a mini fridge with milk in it and uh, DJ's older brother takes umbrage with this you know <laughs> why does why does he get a mini fridge I can't even get a phone you know um, which again seems really it's it, the joke came out naturally because DJ's older brother's a jerk you know <laughs> and I know what he would say mm-hmm. so these things they did a, a lot of times you get very very lucky if you if, if you if you build it they will come so you build the right characters the jokes will come I mean, I guess, and that is something about Hilo because of that kind of alien nature and boundless enthusiasm is a part, I think, but is such a perfect combination to make kind of all those gags work so well is because you believe it because the character just loves everything. Like he loves life. Like even when he's having all the curry and it's like spicy, he just drinks more milk. He doesn't stop eating. He doesn't stop eating the, you know, the spicy food. He's just going to eat more of it, but make sure he has tons of milk to douse it down. So like there's just something so inherently funny about that, about someone who almost can't see the bad side only sees the positive side and just wants to experience it all the time thank you that was for one i'm glad you dig that joke and also i'm really pleased you're digging hilo's enthusiasm that was that's 100 percent by design something i had rarely done before and i really wanted to do after doing superhero stories for so long uh with so few positive protagonists Mm. you know people who are just a little bit happy a little bit excited about stuff so always you know and i did this you know this wasn't just like it was it was done to me mm-hmm. i was writing you know i was always writing heroes who were kind of dour i i like the idea of creating a character who was just thrilled with just about everything you know just just everything that's new everything that's different like oh that's outstanding that's just you know whatever it might be and uh and what's, what's beautiful about that is that kids really respond to it 
They call it out. They tell me how much they love that he loves things. I was like, good, because that's why, that's why I did it. I think it's cool too, kiddo. Yeah, I'm right there with you. When you were writing superhero comics, I mean, I guess, who do you think was the most like enthusiastic or happy character that you wrote? <laughs> Uh, Besides maybe Morph? Probably. Uh, that, that was what I was going to say. I was going to say Morph. Hmm. That was the first one that occurred to me, like Morph. Uh, for those playing at home, he's a, he's a shapeshifter <laughs> who would constantly be goofy. Um, you know, aside from that, I'd have to think really, really hard. Really hard. Because um, most of them, most of them are pretty pissed off, you know, and most <laughs> of them are pretty, pretty dark, you know. And uh, I, I, I would probably be someone in the team books. I'm not even thinking, yeah, probably somebody probably somebody on the outsiders but even then everybody's pretty teed off and a little bit dark you know the the, the comedy came from like being kind of grousy about things mm-hmm. i guess it's interesting because I, so. I when i was gonna i was thinking like nightwing but i'm like but when you wrote nightwing he was pretty pretty dour <laughs> like he was he was uh, oh, especially yeah. in no, outsiders I really i did a really pissed off uh <laughs> nightwing uh by design you know because a lot of i mean but part of my part of my thing was like, yeah, Nightwing's always so like, forget the quips, man. Forget him being like all happy. He's not Robin anymore. He's Nightwing. He's a grown ass man. He needs to be pissed off. <laughs> you know that was I was trying for that, and a lot of people hated that. Oh really? A lot of people hate it. Yeah, they hate it. I oh, know. Like that's not Nightwing. Night, Nightwing is much. You know, he's he's got you know much better attitude about stuff. I don't know. I always felt I like you. I always felt like you really built it into the story. Like it was because of the events of like graduation day, et cetera. That like you had this more irritated guy, but because of how much he'd been hurt, and like and so, I always felt like that kind of made sense where he wouldn't be the night when we maybe expect because he'd just been through tragedy. Oh, I'm not. I'm not telling you that these people were right. I'm just telling you what the gripe was. <laughs> they, they, they definitely were clearly wrong and not paying attention. That like this is this is just the arc of the character at the moment. That I'm not saying that he's completely redefined. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing that comic book fans always tend to do. It's like, listen, this character's been around for 65 years. All right, we're not going to be playing the same note every time. And I'm not even saying that he's changing this way forever. I'm just saying, like, I'm writing this character now for these story arcs right now. You know. He's a little more ticked off than he was in the past, you know. Just because it's a little more interesting, because I just, you know, he's because because he's going through some rough crap. That's what we're doing. Um, it's the biggest gripe of most superhero fans. Like, like that's not how they're supposed to act. It's like, <laughs> I know, but we're changing it a little bit. <laughs> like, you're ruining my childhood. Like, I'm really not. I'm really <laughs> not. The, your childhood is still right there. Those stories are still right there. We haven't taken all the comics out and burnt them. We're just we're just telling it a little differently for a while. That's all. I think I've asked you this before, so I apologize if I'm if I'm kind of repeating myself. But when you were doing Outsiders, and you had the big kind of change at the beginning with you know Arsenal completely kind of changing his look. Well, first of all, taking on the name Arsenal, I guess, but but being more aggressive and, and looking a little bit more kind of modern. Um, did you guys get kind of pushback that he didn't kind of have that old school kind of look anymore, and that he because I always liked that design. I always loved the design that he had in Outsiders. I thought it was it really made sense for the character. I always thought he just looked really cool. But was there any kind of pushback at the time? Because it was a very kind of different reinvention of the character. Um, let's see. He became Arsenal in name before I got there. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes, that's um, right. And uh, as far as – I just um, – what did I do? We, we, we just uh, – Because he cut his hair. Yeah, no, we gave him a Caesar cut. Yep. And, um, and uh, got rid of the mask. And just gave him, a, you know, just a, just a sharper look. And uh, I think, 
Um, a lot of people liked it. I mean, you know, because I, I think the defense we could we, we had pretty much was, look, we can make him look just like Green Arrow again. You know, like just just you know the same. The same he before this it, he was mostly wearing like Green Arrow's outfit, except it was red. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that? Nothing. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there was nothing that we did in comics that we didn't get pushed back on. Nothing. Um, but uh, you, you know. With that, there are always people who like the change a little bit. They, you know, um, so there. Honestly, there is nothing you could talk about the work that I had that was the best received, and still there are people who are incredibly ticked off about it each and every time. <laughs> Except for Hilo, though, right? Everyone loves that. Yeah, no lie. No, no, seriously. <laughs> no, that's 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 the that is the big difference to like doing uh, this story for kids. Is that absolutely, um, you know. You know, kids dig uh, kids dig Hilo, and they're infinitely more generous. Uh, you know, when it comes, well, also, you know, it's also an original character. You know, hmm. um, I, I don't know, like, who knows? If I was if I was reinterpreting Harry Potter in some way, I mean, I'm sure the kids would be pissed as shit. But I'm not, so uh, so they're cool with it. I mean, it is way more fun to do Hilo. You know, I don't hear criticisms like I used to at all. Whole different world. <laughs> Now the the one kind of I guess note, missing ingredient in issue se- sorry issue uh, book seven is that we except for one brief kind of uh, mention uh, or maybe one or two kind of panels where they where they appear we didn't get any Polly and uh, as you said kind of a fan favorite character favorite of yours to kind of write and illustrate because she's just so much fun um, first of all did it did you really have to kind of make sure you didn't bring her in too fast and also are we going to get more next next time. Well, yeah. To be all to be all artsy fartsy and literary about it, she just didn't fit into the story. Mm. Uh, it was it, it was it, she wasn't really a part of this story. Um, and uh, I am never I'm never one to give up spoilers, but I'll say comfortably, like, yeah, you'll see her in the next book. She's back, you know, <laughs> um, for sure. Um, it was just uh, for this part. Uh, yeah, yeah. For this part, we're kind of on Earth. We're kind of doing our thing, and she's not back yet, but she will be coming back. Very, very soon. She's in the next book. Oh, heck, yeah, I just redid the cover. She's even on the cover, so yes. Guaranteed, she's in the next book. I guess you're right, though. I mean, I guess her, her energy wouldn't really kind of match, you know, the, the tone that you were going for here. Um, but because she is just a, a force of a character. Like, it feels like, you know, I, I've listened to Jim DeMatteis talk before about how some characters just kind of, you know, they just speak to you and they're so loud that you can only, all you can do is channel their voice. You're not really writing anymore. You're just kind of dictating their story. It feels like right. Polly is one of those characters. Maybe I'm wrong, but you tell yes. me. No, 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 completely. She's got a lot going on and to... You know, and to do her to kind of to kind of mute her in some way, um, you know. And, but also, uh, without giving too much away, it's if if you look at this story and what we're doing here, um, it would have just been a little bit too soon. You know, she would she would have solved too many problems. Mm. That's the other thing. It's sort of, I mean, it was it was funny. My my kids even know the answer to this now. We talk about it because um, they know a little bit about storytelling now. We're talking about. Let's talk about the Marvel, uh, the MCU. Uh, why were Hulk and Thor not in Civil War? It's like because they're too goddamn strong. Hmm. They're too strong. You can't have them in the fight. It's like, well, yeah, but what's the story excuse? No story excuse. You can't write around it. So <laughs> you just you just can't have them in in the fight. They've, so that's why they're not in the in the story. Like you you can't do anything with them. It's like you know 
you know, if you got Hulk and Thor on your side, you win the fight. <laughs> so, so it's over with far too quickly. So you got to take them off the board somehow. So in this case, uh, Polly had to be taken off the board for a number of reasons. She solves too many problems uh, that were occurring for for our, our characters. Hmm. Very cool. Is there anything else that you can kind of spoil, or not spoil, but tease for uh, for the next uh, book that comes out sometime next spring? Well, it's called Gina, uh, Gina and the Big Secret, and um, uh, for those who read Book Seven, it literally picks up right where we left off, um, and uh, and it is a fun little journey. And a, I mean, it's it's you know a lot of questions are answered, and it, we definitely move the story forward. Um, infinitely more, uh, a lot of action, a lot of, a lot of action, a lot of, a lot of runs around. Uh, we intro- uh, so so as I said, Polly returns. Uh, we will introduce a new character or two, um, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, and that's about all, uh, all I'm comfortable with saying right now. <laughs> um, I, I guess a, a, a big picture question that is always interesting to me is that you know, especially because these are you know not short books; these are you know a good length book. Um, when you sit down to kind of do page one of. I guess book nine is probably what you're working on shortly. Um, how intimidating is it? Or are you just so ready to get back to kind of working on the project after, you know, doing press, et cetera, and kind of working on finishing the previous book? Are you just raring to go? Oh, I've already thought about it so much by the time I get there. Mm-hmm. It's, it is never, I mean, it, it happened when I would write superhero comics that, you know, I'd have the vaguest of notions of where I was going. And that was purely based on the schedules, you know, that, you know, the book has to come out every single month. And sometimes maybe the ideas weren't there, so I'd have to, you know, really dig in and what's going to happen next, or what am I going to do? In this case, I've been drawing uh, the eighth book for the last, you know, four or five months. Uh, so in that time, I've been thinking about the next book um, and working out the ideas. So, you know, the, 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 the a lot of the books just in my head, and I've begun outlining it. So it's never, it's never ever about that. Um, now a couple of months ago, I was really concerned. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't. I, I I knew the ending of this particular book, but a lot of the middle wasn't there yet at all, and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And that's bad news. Um, but you know, but then I had a little more time, worked a few things out, saw how to do this, do all that, and everything was fine. Then that's all gravy. When when you are kind of in that kind of spot where you're kind of figure trying to figure something out. Are you actively thinking about it, or are you kind of doing other things and trying to let your kind of mind wander, and then you'll kind of find something? Or like, how how do you kind of work on some of that process? Both those things. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes there's an active thinking about it, then there's also just noodling around, and also knowing that, like, yeah, I'm not going to think of anything more today, uh, but I know that's in the back of my head, and you know, and then you revisit it. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly. A huge chunk of the next book, of the ninth book, got worked out when I was driving to San Jose to go sign, to go sign like a bunch of uh, stock. Uh, like there was two hundred books, I had to go sign at a bookstore, oh. and I had to go sign them. So I had to go drive out to San Jose. So I had like an hour and change in my car, and it began with I was listening to a podcast, and then I thought like, wait, let me just. And my mind started drifting to book nine, and then it's like, oh no, I got to put on music so I can think. And then it was just an hour and a half of me driving my car, getting positively weepy, thinking about a couple of things that I thought of in like book nine, like, oh, I could do that, I could do that, oh, that'd be cool too, and I should do that, yeah, that'd be nice, okay, you know, as these things occur to me, hmm. you know, 
like that, like that. Is there a specific uh, mu- musical soundtrack that works for kind of channeling high-low ideas? Um, it depends. I think I think in a lot of cases, if I'm thinking of emotional stuff, just just as long as there's emotional music going on, then I'm mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. You know. But honestly, if, uh, if I'm thinking about stuff that's kind of jokey, if I'm trying to get my I get my comedy on, I'm trying to lighten things up. Uh, I always need to put on "They Might Be Giants." Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, got it. That's pretty much gets me in a zone of being funny. Uh, a lot of times, it's like you know they just they just kind of crack me up and are clever at the same time. Mm. Um, listening to dour music and trying coming up with jokes never seems to work. Really. <laughs> I guess not. No. Well, again, Judd, thank you so much for spending so much of your time with us today and talking not just about Hilo, but also other elements of your career. I always appreciate having you on, and I hope to have you back on uh, for uh, talking about the next book. Oh, well, sir, it is always, always a pleasure, really and truly, 100%. And uh, I look forward to our next chat, which, again, barely feels like we're talking, barely feels like a podcast. It feels like we should have some coffee and fries in front of us and shooting the breeze. (laughs) That's very kind. Well, thank you again so much. You bet. You take care, sir.